Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking with Denise Carcos, who is the CMO of TD Ameritrade. Denise, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. You know, I am so excited to dive in with you today, um, but before I go right into my questions, I just wanted to pause and say, hey, why don't you tell me a little bit about your current role at TD Ameritrade and why you decided to take that on? Yeah, of course. Um, so I've been at TD Ameritrade for about eight years um, as CMO for about um, four and a half. And, you know, it's funny, if I reflect back on my career, I've spent about half of it in financial services, which was never really the intent. Um, so got here via TD Bank, um, been at a TD property for about 11 years. And, you know, always, always been a marketer and just trying to really increase my skill set. And once I kind of joined this TD family, it's um, it's kind of company that definitely nurtures their talent and puts them into positions where they can help them grow and shepherd them along in that, in that pursuit. And so for me at TD, when I got there, they knew that I had aspirations to, to be a CMO. And the great thing about working at a company as big as TD is there are options. There are are many there are, are a few different CMOs, be it the U.S. Bank, the Canadian Bank. Um, there was a property over in Leeds, England, for a while, and then there's TD Ameritrade. And so, really, um, TD kind of groomed me to take a CMO role. And um, ultimately, my opportunity came down here at TD Ameritrade. So I moved from Portland, Maine, where the bank was, to Jersey City, and. Um, kind of found my way into my dream role about four and a half years ago. Wow, that's amazing. And did you always know you wanted to be a CMO or how did you actually make that decision to make that jump? Yeah, I think about kids coming out of college who don't quite know at all which direction to take. And I think that was probably one huge blessing that um, I I took marketing courses at Notre Dame and 
um, graduated the business degree there and, and knew that marketing was my, you know, where I really wanted to head uh, into professionally. I probably didn't realize how high I wanted to aspire until I really broadened up my career after the first kind of five, six years. I started as an assistant media buyer and my aspiration was to become a media director someday. And you know, once you learn kind of all the different crafts and different, um, I guess, aspects of marketing and roles you could take, you know, I, I really probably about yeah, like five or six years in said, you know, well, the big job is a CMO job and I love leading teams and that would be the one that would have the greatest amount of influence. And I got clarity um, early on. And, and I can't tell you that that too is such a gift to, to get that clarity because once you do and you find a trusted network with whom to share that aspiration, then you can really understand what are the gaps that you need to fill to get to that ultimate goal. And certainly that's been the journey for me. Wow. Uh, so I have like four questions now that just bubbled up. Uh, and uh, so sure. I want to I talk about clarity for a second, because that's such an important thing to, uh, whether it's earn or achieve or discover. And um, I'm wondering, was there anything that triggered that clarity for you? And then how did you go about assessing those gaps? Yeah, I, I think um, one, you know, I, I took a leadership class and um, one of the the tasks that they have you do is called the river of life. And it's really just a way to you know, partner up and tell your story uh, of your life. But one of the most meaningful aspects of that exercise was kind of, as you go down the river of life, there are divergent points where you have a critical decision you have to make. And it was so interesting for me to do this exercise because I found that there had been a few times in my life where I had a critical decision. The first one I can remember really was trying to decide between playing soccer or continuing on with ballet. So um, at age three, I started doing both and loved both. And at age 16, I really had to pick and because they, there was no real overlap and they completely would start to compete for time. And so I chose soccer. And I think to this day, my gosh, I would be a completely different person if I had chosen a more individual pursuit um, of ballet but the team aspect has really shaped me to who I am today. And, and that was a critical decision point. And from there, you know, decision-making got a little bit more mature. Where to go to college? Did I want to play Division One soccer at Notre Dame or Division Three at Bowdoin? Um, and ultimately, that decision came down to bigger, broader span of influence and contribution to play D1 versus D3. Um, fast forward onto my career, working on the agency side when I could go over on the brand side and have a bigger budget, a bigger team. These started to become the mile markers in my career where I decided that wherever I could have the, the biggest opportunity to grow and lead and influence, that seemed to be a really good criteria for my decision-making in the past. And so that's been really how I've made my decisions going forward. And it's been, it's been a really good barometer for me. Wow. That's great. I knew there was a reason I loved you already because I'm a huge <laughs> soccer player myself. Oh, I actually, I'm glad to talk about them. Let's change the yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, we need a whole podcast on how to keep playing the game after you get to be a certain age. My goodness. Uh, um, yes, I agree. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, very cool. <clears throat> well, the role that you took is really remarkable for lots of different reasons. Not only have you uh, earned the CMO role, but it's in a financial company, which means that you've really had to um, 
develop your financial acumen to a degree probably more deep than anybody else. Um, Can you describe how you went about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I remember being so intimidated because as I was going from the bank to the brokerage, I thought, oh, same family, you know, it's a little bit of a pivot on banking. And in fact, it's a whole new ball game um, from the the language, the terminology to just the, the investment strategies, it's the customer segments. It's completely different. But the the way you overcome kind of that hurdle to say, oh gosh, can I actually go and be successful and lead a marketing organization in a very um, you know, kind of daunting financial category is that as a marketer, your job is to know the customer. And, you know, I've worked on, you know, every category known to man and every time you, the common denominator is passion for knowing who the customer is. And if you have that passion, then you can, in my mind, really succeed in any category. Um, the, the, the biggest thing for me to do to be successful at TD Ameritrade was to earn the credibility of the businesses. And the businesses here, you know, there are a lot of people who grew up on the trading floor and, and they grew up in financial services and that had not been my path. And, you know, I can, I can charm anybody, but that's not going to get you out of your first meeting alive. So right. <laughs> um, I, I surrounded myself with friends who were in the industry and took a lot of people out for drinks and coffees and lunches and, um, and really just bent their ear. It's the same tact I took back in the mid nineties when I was working at Hill Holiday and all my clients started asking about this thing called the digital advertising on the web. And I knew nothing. And I, I, made, I took every single vendor supplier up on their offer to go to lunch so I could hear them sell their wares because it helped me learn. I applied that here and, you know, took every lunch and took people out and made sure that I really asked all the tough questions and was completely vulnerable because you run out of time to be vulnerable. And, um, you know, really learned really all about this category and more importantly, all about this customer. And, you know, flash forward, one of, I think, the biggest strengths that I have is that I built up a team of people who understand the category, but that are completely analytically grounded. My analytics team, I've told this department, it will be the heartbeat of our organization. And that's where every next dollar, every next best resource will go. And if people don't subscribe to that philosophy, then you're probably not in the right marketing department. But for us, to have that rigor is going to only lend credibility to our actions. And uh, it has helped us quite a bit. I, I'll tell you from a running marketing, like a business perspective, my team does it like nobody else. You know, we can measure the ROI of about you know 80% of our spend. And I told our CEO that when I go to the board as CMO for the first time, um, I want to make sure that I'm the CMO that's not going to show a 30 second TV spot. I'm going to talk about the marginal ROI of next best dollar spent on television. I'm going to talk about the incremental net new assets contribution of marketing to the um, net new assets of the firm. And I'm going to talk in their language. And I'm, it's intoxicating once you're armed with that kind of data and that kind of strength of a team underneath you that you really start to get passionate about the numbers and the business and how to really you move the dials in an effective way and you can imagine how the board feels about that conversation. It's a lot more positive. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And 
it's a very consistent theme that keeps surfacing, uh, you know, in several of the podcasts that have already aired um, and some coming up, you know, financial acumen is, you know, probably the number one most important skill to develop right now, uh, especially being that business person first, not because it overpowers everything else, but because there tends to be the largest gap. And so it's nice to hear how you filled uh, that gap. And is there, you know, with, between surrounding yourself with industry experts and, and really listening in with, you know, your team and your mentors, is there anything else that you would suggest or recommend to a CMO or an aspiring CMO to continue to build those skills? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, read a lot. If you hear if something for me, my, my litmus test has always been, if I'm starting to feel vulnerable or insecure in a conversation or if there's something on the news, perfect example, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, blockchain, that's scaring you and you're trying to leave the room when that conversation's happening, that's exactly where you need to dive in and dive in deep. And you know, there's plenty of things to read and access and podcasts to listen to. And so my, my litmus test has always been, if I start to feel a little vulnerable, a little insecure, I I go deep into that subject. Oh, that's great. Great advice. And so I'd like to kind of go into more detail around sort of two opposite ends of the spectrum, if you will. One is um, your, your perspective on how you coach and mentor your teams. And then also where, who you've looked to as mentors for yourself. Um, and you can take that in any which order, but I think both are, are critical here. So with that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for, for me leading teams, I think the biggest gift you can do is, is to give them fast feedback, constructive feedback, and always don't forget to celebrate the wins. And it's funny you, if you're hiring the high performers, they're, just as willing to brush off the accolades as they are to sit down for an hour to hear the criticism. And I really try to encourage my team to find balance in both because as they lead their teams, they need to show that they're willing to celebrate the successes as much as to take the the, the feedback. And, you know, for, you know, for me, I think that, um, I always make sure that if there's a, a meeting that I'm in, if there's something I'm having a one-on-one and, and someone says something to me and I, I'll tell them right in the moment, I don't write it down in a note for an annual or quarterly review. In fact, we've done away with a lot of that here at TD Ameritrade because the magic's in the fast feedback. It's here's how you showed up in that moment and, and use your judgment. You know, I sometimes if I'm talking to someone who's incredibly introverted that I don't know if they're open to feedback um, I'll give you know, feedback either to their manager or I'll ask them if they're open to it. And I'll say, you know, this is me talking and my job is to prop you up and arm you for success. And everybody should know that on my team. I'm not, when you come in to present to me, I'm not trying to test you or trick you. And, and that is a very natural thing here. And people don't always believe it depending on where you came from. I'm trying to help you win. Um, but with that comes you need to take the feedback and you need to understand, you know, how to not make the same mistake twice. Um, and, and it could be anything from, you know, I remember this woman sitting in my office and she was a key presenter, a table full of, you know, six people. And she retreated like so far into 
the, the wall, there was a plant behind her that the plant was actually in her hair. And, and all I could think about is she's camouflaged. She's literally <laughs> so uncomfortable presenting to me. She's camouflaged herself into this plant. Um, and, you know, those are the things where you, you know, Cheryl Sandberg would say, you know, have a seat at the table. I think it's very smart advice that your, your body language, how you sit, how you present yourself. And I practice, I'm telling you, people will say to me, you know, that was a two minute, you know, speech at a town hall, but it sounded so natural. I'm like, because I spent an hour and a half making it seem that way and looking in a mirror and practicing, you know, I, I, it doesn't come easy without the rehearsal. It's the, when it appears easy, it's because you put the hard work in, um, you know, kind of pivoting to, you know, some of the, the mentors I've had in, in my career. It's funny that I, I think about this now too. I always remember the constructive feedback and the criticism than the accolades. It's just like, the, just like I said before. Um, so I have to hold a step down to myself too, to make sure I'm constantly helping people grow and giving them constructive feedback. Um, but, you know, I remember there was a, a time where I had a, a mentor who was my boss at, at uh, TD Bank, and they changed who they invited to the senior leader meeting. And it was like, used to be the top, you know, 200, they changed it to the top 100. And I didn't get invited. And I had a speech prepared for my one-on-one. -on -one. And I went, you know, into my one-on-one, -on -one, very buttoned up, but very forthright in what I wanted to say, which was, I've put all this hard work in. I've been at this meeting for the last three years. I deserve to be at this meeting for X, Y, and Z. And I remember him looking at me and saying, so the fact that you got promoted six months ago, the fact that you got this bonus, the fact that you have ample time with me, the CMO, none of that shows you your worth. You're going you're gonna to fight for a meeting. And he later told me he was so angry, <laughs> but found the composure to give me the perspective that he had. And another story is also related to perspective. I remember um, when I was working at an advertising agency, I went home with a team of people to, uh, to pre-pitch this pitch we were going to the next day to the CEO. And we went in prepared. We, we did the whole pitch. And at the end of it, the CEO said, oh, um, sounds good. But, um, that's good. And we were kind of marched out of his office. And I look at the team and I said, well, that's, that's terrible. Like we didn't get an attaboy. We didn't get a, you know, great job. And this more senior gentleman looked at me and he said, he's trying to run a company. Like, you, do you have any context of what else is on his mind right now? And so, you know, I, I think I'll close this part of the, the advice loop and say, one of the things, the best gifts I could have ever have been granted throughout my career is this idea of perspective and knowing that people have a lot more going on than what's happening in the moment. So when you go home at night, like we all tend to do and rehash the day and say, did I sound dumb on this call? Or um, did that person looked at me funny? Did, did I not come across the way I wanted to come across? When you do all of that, um, those mental exercises that bring you down and tear you down, just know that no one else is thinking about you. They're, they're changing their kids' diapers and they're trying to put food on the table or they're thinking about the next board meeting or they're running a company. It, have the perspective to get out of your own way and don't be 
the, your own hold back to your own success by kind of doing these mental gymnastics where you're tearing yourself down and thinking that the world's criticizing you because I guarantee they're not. Oh, that's, that's such great advice. And I love that term mental gymnastics. Um, another thing you talked about too was body language. And I, and I'm fascinated by that because, you know, you're, you're the second person to mention it in the course of a week. And I know it's critical, but it's interesting. Barbara Martin Coppola had mentioned it, that one of her greatest mentors was actually from a foreign country when she was working in a foreign country and she didn't speak the language. And then it became even more critical to understand body language and not just yeah. understand how to read it, but how to, how to use it. Um, did you take a class or something or was there, or did you just learn by observation? Was there something really instrumental for you as you thought about that and you practice your own body language? Yeah, actually, um, I'm a mad student of people. And I think being as extroverted as I am, I have a lot more exposure than the normal human being because um, I'm constantly looking for the stimulus from people around me. And I, it, it only comes from kind of that innate mad observation, uh, understanding kind of how people are perceiving me. And I, I think this is another really important thing for a leader it's one thing to be self-aware. It's another thing to be aware of how others perceive you. Like you may, you may know yourself and say, Oh, that came out the wrong way. But having the, the maturity to know how other people are perceiving you based on where they're coming from is pretty important too. I had a woman, um, come at, come at me at a, um, after a meeting a few years back and this meeting went great. And I was pretty benign, but, she came into my office and closed the door and she said, I'll never have you treat my team that way again. And I thought like, Oh gosh, this person doesn't know who I am. I'm like the nicest person going. <laughs> and I kind of discarded it um, in the moment. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. And, and I had her come back in. I said, so can you be explicit as to what you perceive from me? And she said, you didn't ask anyone on my team a question. You only looked at this other woman's team. And it was all the subtleties. And I thought, you know what? That's how she perceived me. So that's her reality. And, and in these little lessons along the way that can be these micro moments, but I take them with me. I store them like they're you know, vitamins so that they can you know, supply me with the knowledge later. So I, I can make sure that I'm, I'm not you know, doing the similar things, being democratizing who you're looking at in the meeting. Um, and, you know, I, I had just, just a couple of weeks ago, someone, uh, I'm in early and there's a few people that come in early every day and they, they walk past my office and they don't say hi and they walk right by and I'm fine with that because I'm working. But it was curious to me because at other points during the day, people are all, all popping in and being social. And so I said to these early morning people, you guys never even say hi, like what, you know, what's up? <laughs> and uh, this guy said, have you seen your face in the morning? And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, you look so mean. I'm I'm in here by myself. I'm focusing. No one's around. And he said, your face is so mean. And so now I told my husband that. And so sometimes on Sunday, he'll come like into the office where I'm getting caught up and he'll go, oh, there's the face. (laughs) And so I I didn't think I had a face because most of the time I'm kind of socializing around other people in the meeting but it's when I'm alone doing like the hard work thinking that uh, I too have a face. And so my CEO has a face. Uh, he calls it the resting dictator face. <laughs> and, um, and it is real. 
and, um, and it's the scowl. So I'm literally coaching him on like, Tim, if you just separate your lips when you're in a resting position, I don't think you could make the mean face. So we practice like, yeah. but he, he understands the importance of it. Um, because you're not going to, you know, get the same amount of followership that you would want if people feel like you're kind of, you know, be critical or, or just look mean, like that's not a very approachable way to be. So mad observer people, I take the feedback. Um, I ask for the feedback and, uh, and I give the feedback. So, you know, for the girl in the bush, she'll never sit by a plan again in the rest of her career <laughs> because she's, she's bigger than that. You know, the words were powerful, but they were completely lost. So, um, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Okay. I'm laughing so hard over here. I had this problem with Deborah Wall's podcast too, because I kept laughing over the top of her, but I can't help it. Uh, I'm, I'm addicted. This is like the best, like the girl in the bush. We should write a book. The girl in the bush for advice for anybody who wants to be a leader. Uh, okay. So give, give me more, any more. These are, these are awesome. Um, yeah, I think one big lesson that I've learned in recent years as my, my team has grown is that um, people who are on your team um, could very easily fall into a trap of success for them looks like, like the leader. And what I mean by that is really this notion of introversion versus extroversion. So I'm obvious, like loud, brazen extrovert. And if I hired a team of people like me, then um, nothing would get done and it would be the most obnoxious team. So I purposely surround myself with opposites, you know, people who are introverts who are very contemplative. I have comfort moving with 50% of the information. I need to hire people who are confident moving with 99% of the information. And I do that intentionally, but I'm very prescriptive with those people to say that success for you looks more like you than like me. And if you try to do you know, anything that looks like me, it's going to be uncomfortable for all of us. Um, <laughs> I, and so I endorse these, these introverts uh, and, and I give them exposure to the degree that they want it or, or not and find other ways to motivate them. And most of all, to make sure that they know that they were hired for that trait and that that's where their, their magic lies. And so I think that's a very important lesson that I've only really recently learned because um, otherwise, you know, if you are a leader with an extroverted, you know, bent, then um, it could really alienate some of your star performers. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about team composition for a minute, because there are plenty of different variables that make a team diverse. You know, when you think about um, I love this example about introverts and, and extroverts. When you think about other factors that you look for to really round out your team and, um, you know, bring together an all-inclusive diverse team, what do you, what do you look for? What do you, what do you think about? Yeah. Um, I really come at it from a, a style perspective and, um, you know, usually that solves all the other, you know, kind of more traditionally diverse slate of, um, you know, candidates that you, that you want to hire. But um, I, I absolutely, like my, my body is like analyst. It, it's, it's a very strong team and it's highly um, introverted, as you can imagine, just by the nature of that craft. But you have to run out, you know, this is the old narrative of you have to have people who can actually sum it up and, and talk the, the language of executives and be able to present and put them in front of people. So you need to round out those very uh, kind of introverted teams by their nature with 
a couple of spokespeople. And I, what I love about it is that I'm finding that some of them emerge on their own and it doesn't matter the level. And that's another thing, big thing of kind of the way I manage my team is that I'm very, very proud when I can go deep into the organization a few levels and put that person in front of our CEO, in front of our senior operating committee um, and give them an opportunity to shine and, and, and they deserve it. And if that's what they want, that's what they get. And um, I, I think that's a, a, another kind of really big thing about who cares about the level. That's not what gets you into the limelight. It's the work that gets you into the limelight as well as the aspiration. So, you know, for me, I think about diversity very much so in, in the realm of how they, they think. And I look for people who think, you know, differently than me in a lot of cases. Um, and then some that are very complimentary to me so that we can, you know, really build a, a strong team that, that's kind of firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And that's great. I know that you uh, passionately advocate uh, learning from both successes and, and failures. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to break some rules to, to try new things. Can you, can you share a couple examples of some moments where you're like, wow, this really was a risk and it worked out great or wow, we, we took that risk and it didn't really net out where we wanted it to, but we learned from it. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you kind of a, a funny kind of one, two punch on that one. Uh, so I was, um, there's a, there's a gentleman on my team and I had, you know, had this, rallying cry for the team like we're not taking enough risks like i've told you so many times that it's okay to take a risk as your eyes wide open and if you fail as long as we talk about it and learn from it like then that's that's a, only a wonderful thing and um just this guy came into my office and he had this print ad and it was a little bit off tone a little bit more like playful and uh, colorful than our, than our brand voice normally is but he was so passionate about it and wanted to run it and spend, I think it was like a, you know, a couple few million dollars and really, really stood behind it and had some loose facts to support it. <laughs> and so um, said to me, played my words back to me and said, you told us that we're not taking enough risks. And so I said, yeah, all right, well, as long as you come back and tell me how it performed. And so he, he went and he did this and it didn't do well and came back into my office, you know, after a, a time period and said, okay, you know, we took a risk. It didn't pay out. I'm like, I don't care. I'm so proud of you. Keep doing it. It's great. You know, we learn from this, we move on. Um, but what happened is I got interviewed by, by um, Forbes and I used this example and this had just happened like a week prior, like the guys that's right outside of my, my office and <laughs> it ended up in, Forbes magazine. And so I'm like sitting in my office praying he doesn't read it. And, and then I'm like, all right, well, who, who's really getting the lesson here? And the lesson was for me to say, like, if you're going to use real life examples of the people who are working their tails off for you, you either better have the um, respect for them to say that this is, is this okay? Or, you know, don't do that. So um kind of in the bravado of my Forbes moment to give a real life example, I gave a very recent one and it hurt someone's feelings because people knew about it here and now everyone's reading about it on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. So um, kind of a one-two punch there in terms of the, the ultimate lesson was actually, was actually for me. Mm. 
It, and just curious, I, I did actually read that Forbes article. So um, <laughs> I hope he's still with you on your team. He is. He is. Oh, we, have a, a, we have a good laugh about it. He, he's allowed to uh, make me feel bad from time to time when he wants to. Oh, phew. I was afraid to even ask that question. Um, but, <laughs> but I thought it was a great example, though. So I, I do understand what you're saying. But it, you're, you're so supportive of that. And I think that speaks volumes to your leadership style, which is great. Um, what are you pr- most proud of that you've accomplished since you've been there? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, w- I would say the fact that I really do believe that, you know, I've been here for, like I said, eight years and I've worked for great CMOs here and other places, but, you know, as times evolve and as your leadership changes, like I mentioned, we have a new CEO, you just, you have to have the nimbleness as a leader to really get the foresight of where the company and the leadership is headed and get ahead of it. So when our CEO was coming in, I said to my team, clean slate, if there are things you've wanted to do as a marketer here that were shot down by previous regimes, or if there are questions you've always wanted to ask um, that you never thought you could Now's the time to put every single thing on the table. And what, what came forward from that exercise was my team saying things like, um, you know, our, our name is so long. Like how it's an infinitesimal in Twitter. Can we talk about maybe creating some sort of moniker? That, that's heresy. We, we were part of a broader TV organization. Um, our brand purpose is really lackluster and we've had it for 10 years and it's been sacred. Can we revisit it? Can we have a clean sheet of paper? So my team had these conversations prior to the new CEO taking you know, his seat. And so when the questions came, if you had a clean sheet of paper, would this be the brand purpose? No, in fact, it wouldn't. And in fact, there's a body of work underway. What power to the team that they asked the right questions, that they took the time to have the foresight to know that it could be a whole new day. And ask the right questions. It makes for a really, really motivating, fun department um, to know that you're kind of now leading the charge in some of the biggest, most strategic questions that you could ask. And, and I'm really, I'm really proud of the team that that that's the stance that they've taken. Oh, that's wonderful. And Denise, I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> there's so much good stuff in here, and and so much great advice you've already shared. So before I get to my last question, let me give you. Uh, the opportunity to say anything in the world that you want um, as a, sure. as a guiding tip for anybody out there who is either a CMO looking for good advice or aspiring CMO. What's, what's your number one lesson learned? Yeah, well, um, I, I'll, I'll repeat one and give you a new one, but the, I really, really do believe that we can all get in our own way if we get wrapped up in these internal monologues of, you didn't do answer the question right, or you didn't um, show up as, as well as you wanted to in a meeting. Like if you need to go through that for your own catharsis, do it in an hour and get it over with and don't bring it home to your family and drive them crazy. Just move on. If you're not moving on, you're never going to move up. You have to move on from that negativity. Um, I, I preach that to myself all the time because I can, I too can get hung up in that. Um, the other thing I would say, though, as, as a CMO, never, ever stop asking for feedback. 
um, I had a, a really powerful um, piece of feedback. And I mean, this is um, a, a little dated, but I had uh, I, I surround myself with people that I know I can still ask questions of. You know, did this come across the right way? Do you feel like this was as strong and powerful as I wanted it to be? And and I've got this trusted network of people around the company that will play these things back to me and still give me perspective because you can lose it very easily. And um, I was in a meeting and there's a, a certain executive who's no longer here that I was never ever getting along with. I, I'm like I can't land that relationship and. I was trying to figure out why. And so I asked someone who I saw getting along very well with that person. I said, you're so successful. What, what do I need to do differently to really solidify my relationship? And he said, it's so simple. You answer every single one of that guy's questions so fast. And it's not that you're wrong, but what he takes that for is not strategic. All you need to do is ask two questions to everyone he asks. And it will change the game. And it happened. It absolutely changed the relationship. And it's something so specific. And I hold that as a bar for feedback. I could apply it the second I left that office, I could apply that feedback. So I think always be open to, to growing, um, asking for feedback and receiving it and applying it. I'm, I, I still do that to this day. And, and it's, a, it's a game changer. Wow. That is, that's phenomenal. Gave me goosebumps there for a second because... Uh... <laughs> I can think of a lot of times I should have used that advice. So I will do that moving forward. Thank you very much. Um, You're welcome. Okay. So my very last question for you, if you were not a CMO, what would you be? Oh, well, to our, our passion for, for soccer that we share, you know, I, w- I would have said a, a, a soccer player, but now that um, I've got a few years on me, I would say a coach or an athletic director, probably athletic director would probably be a, a great aspiration for me if I wasn't in this career. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Well, wonderful. I'll, I'll have to come take classes, uh, get, get my game <laughs> back on. Uh, that's awesome. Well, Denise, right. it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for taking time out. Of course. Thanks, Nadine. Thanks. And we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 